This is SQPN, the StarQuest Production Network, leading the way. This episode of The Secrets of the Hobbit is brought to you by Bluehost. It is my favorite hosting provider for blogs, websites, forums, anything you want to do on the web. I love them because they are very affordable, great quality, very reliable customer support. And I use it myself, and I'm a happy customer, and that's why I dare to recommend it. Go to sqpn.com bluehost for more information. And by the Amazon store. If you click on the link on our website, uh, thehobbit.sqpn.com, before you purchase anything at, uh, at the Amazon store, your purchase will help support our show. Also, want to want to recommend my book, uh, Geek Priest: Confessions of a New Media Pioneer. It is uh, basically the story of my life, or at least the geeky part of it. And you can also get that at the Amazon store. And then finally, this show is also brought to you by the friends of SQPN, the people that the listeners, uh, the people that are following us, and that support us with a monthly donation and um, everything we do is for you and thanks to you so thanks in advance if you want to help out and you can find more information about that on sqpn.com sqpn.com presents the secrets of the hobbit there and back again a hobbit's tale by bilbo Where to begin? Hello, friends and fans of The Hobbit, the world of Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings. This is another episode of The Secrets of the Hobbit in which we are going to talk about the teaser trailer for the last, the final third Hobbit movie, The Battle of the Five Armies, or also known as previously uh, There and Back Again. Which is part of our opening jingle. I guess we we need to start making another jingle for you know something around battles and armies and stuff. Joining me today to uh, go in depth of, uh, about this trailer and dissecting it frame by frame, uh, my good friends Bethany and Riley Blanton. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Father. Thanks for having us back on. It is. So, Thank you. So good to hear your voice again. And uh, we are so glad that we have this trailer. Finally, we can go back into our routine of recording regular. Uh, well, I'm not sure if they will be very, very regular like every week, but we have a reason to talk about The Hobbit again. And this is a great reason because this is a fantastic trailer. And even though it's just a teaser trailer and it goes by very fast, as usual, it is crammed with interesting information and food for thought and uh riley just before we started recording you 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 told me that you actually saw the trailer not just on a on your computer screen as i have but uh on the big screen in imax 3d oh yes uh, and it was because i i'd only seen it once and this is because i knew i was going to go see guardians of the galaxy which by the way on a separate note great film for you guys if you if you're if you like uh, that kind of Star Wars slash Marvel Universe feel, and but I knew going into it that uh, that the teaser trailer that there's a good chance this teaser trailer might be shown in front of Guardians of the Galaxy. So I actually, I, I I was I didn't do what I usually do, which is like watch it five billion times in a row. <laughs> I actually only watched the uh, Battle of the Five Armies official teaser trailer revealed at Comic Con once. I may have been sitting glued to my laptop during the live, uh, during the live blogging of the panel at Comic Con, but when the trailer was finally officially released, I watched it one time, 
and then uh, was patient until the I could see it on the big screen. And that's mm-hmm. and Bethany and I, man, it's it's great to see on the small screen. We can dissect like some of the plot points and a lot of the really cool reveals in the in the trailer. But to get the the feel, uh, just just to give you an example, we we saw Guardians of the Galaxy in IMAX 3D. Now uh, they played about five or six movie trailers before the film, and all of them were just in regular 2D. Until, you know, it's like, put on your 3D glasses now. And I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, the one 3D trailer they showed was uh, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. And for me, this trailer was so good that seeing it in the theater then, I after the trailer, I turned and looked at Riley and I was like, okay, we can go home now if we want. And I'll be happy. (laughs) We pay the 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 absolutely outrageous, you know, IMAX 3D prices. I think it's like here in the United States about sixteen dollars. Wow, yeah, <laughs> but it was worth it for the trailer alone. It was the trailer. We're done. Right. Oh, reminds me of the good old days when they were uh, showing the the Star Wars trailer, the prequel trailer for the Phantom Menace, in front of a horrible movie. I don't even remember what it was, but it, that movie alone became a box office success because the trailer was attached to it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like what uh, Meet Joe Black for the teaser, something like that. It's like, and and actually that happened that fans just left the theater after having seen the trailer. And this was, of course, in the, the the days, the dawn of the internet, you know. <laughs> so you, you couldn't just download a trailer from the web. A video was about like a, a post stamp size on your screen. And, and, yeah. and upload and download speeds were incredibly low. So that was basically the one shot you have you had to to see a trailer like this but i i do i can totally imagine that seeing this trailer it's already so impressive on on a computer screen and seeing it in 3d you know full size imax size oh my gosh fantastic and well let's 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 play the sound of the trailer one more time i know that most of our listeners must have seen it several times uh, but just to um get us in the mood and 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 just hear the sounds of Middle Earth. Let me play it, and then we'll just go over the the details. And wow, there are a lot of details. I have no doubt that we can fill an hour with this or longer. So here we go. The Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies. One day I'll remember. Remember everything that happened. The good, the bad. Those who survived, and those that did not. Home is behind the world ahead, and there are many paths to tread through shadow to the edge of night. Until the stars are all alight Mist and shadow Cloud and shade Will you have peace or war? All shall fade I will have war Fate. 
follow me. One last time. Well, of course we will. December 17. That is the premiere date for this movie about the final chapters of The Hobbit. And in the book, it's not much. And Bilbo is basically down, (laughs) missing in action for most of the battle. But here we get everything that Tolkien might have wanted to write but didn't. And uh, this brings, I think, in uh, I think the in the uh, the uh, writing skills of Peter Jackson and and the other writers, uh, using not just the material from the book and the revisions, but also the uh, all the other notes and uh, later editions that Tolkien himself wrote down. And adding also a lot of creative license, which of course is reviled by some and loved by others. Fact is that this movie, even more than the two previous ones, will mark the the well. Will have the mark of Peter Jackson. And if it weren't for him, there just wouldn't be enough material, I think, for a full movie. And uh, the glimpses that we get show us that this is, uh, in in many ways almost a reflection of the scale that we saw in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which is, of course, intentional because this movie needs to bridge the gap between the events in The Hobbit and the later events in in The Lord of the Rings. The trailer starts with the voice of The Hobbit, and that's a good thing because he's not very much in the trailer, is he? Or the poster, for that matter. I think it's interesting. I, I Someone joked on Twitter because one of the first reveals from Comic-Con was this amazing po- teaser poster for uh, for the film that shows Bard kind of standing alone facing the dragon, you know, one of the greatest moments from the book. And on that poster reads the defining chapter. And it's interesting because that's the first time that there's one of, of these three films that there's been a, a Hobbit poster without the Hobbit, right? Mm. And it's, it's, it's an interesting take because even in the book, um, it kind of, I guess, uh, jumps. And, and here's quite an interesting side point. A lot of people were really sad, uh, myself included, when Peter Jackson and company decided to drop the, the subtitle there and back again and change it to the Battle of the Five Armies. And, and I certainly understand the reasoning behind it, but even in the book, you do have to admit that Bilbo's story is kind of dwarfed for those final few chapters. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, after all, he is kind of uh, out of it for the whole, for yes. the whole battle. But, but just like that poster going into it, that kind of had me worried. But when the trailer came out, it kind of reminded us that yes, Bilbo is the 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 thread that's holding this story together, and I think that was a very bold choice. This, this whole trailer, I think it it could have been a very Return of the King esque play, really epic music show montage of mm-hmm. by battle scenes, and 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 that could have been the direction they went, and that's kind of the re- direction I thought they would go. But the whole tone of the trailer is very very much focused on. Bilbo and Bilbo's journey and the decisions the main characters have to make. Yeah. It's a very restrained trailer, at least in terms of the audio, because in the middle of it, we get the beautiful song that we all know and love from The Lord of the Rings, sung by Pippin, Billy Boyd. It's exactly the same song. 
and uh, this time it 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 is kind of projected onto the this this huge war between the five armies, but it's also a statement that this movie has everything to do with the Lord of the Rings. And we get a glimpse of the Eye of Sauron, same thing. It is bridging the gap for the audience for which this trailer is intended and making it very clear that this is just one part of a much bigger story, just as Bilbo's life and Bilbo's contribution is just a fragment of the bigger story that is happening. And that way, I think narratively, this is doing something very interesting by shifting the perspective from... The Hobbit to the Battle of the Five Armies. From one little guy who has lived most of his life under a hill to this huge, almost like a world war. The the, the Middle Earth world war um, uh, on an unprecedented scale. And, and to me, the trailer also had that feel of the Two Towers. Because in the Two Towers you may not have the grand facing off the two sides that you have in the return of the king but the two towers feel so constantly embattled and that is the feeling you get from this trailer yes and even in the lord of the rings in many ways uh the hobbits because then we have more than one hobbit turn from let's say the the principal actors at the beginning of the story to like almost spectators they're witnessing something that goes way beyond their the scope of their little lives even though their contribution is essential and i i feel that 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 the story arc in the way that peter jackson has developed it for these movies is is following the same pattern it starts very much focused on bilbo and his world gradually becomes bigger and bigger by the dwarves who enter his house but then through the journey everything he learns and at one moment, it even transcends his own contribution. And that is part of the way in which Tolkien wrote this story. Uh, you know, in, in, in the whole defeat of the dragon, uh, in the middle of the story, he is very important and instrumental. And then you get this Battle of the Five Armies. Bilbo is knocked out and he does not see it. We don't know exactly what's going to happen to Bilbo in this movie. But the fact is, the events are way beyond the scope of his life, even though I, I still believe that there will be um, a contribution by Bilbo that will be pivotal for the whole fate of Middle-earth, just as Frodo's lone battle uh, you know, with the, on the mountain with the ring was something that has changed for the, the fate of Middle-earth for good. And... Um, it, it, in a way, we become also Bilbo. Uh, we're, we're brought into the story as spectators. We start to identify with Bilbo. We feel the same things that he feels. And in this third movie, I, I was thinking when we're watching, we're actually watching the, the trailer, the events of the trailer with Bilbo. The only thing we see him do is looking and he's pondering. And, 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 and the voiceover is very much like, you know what? There will be a time that I'm going to write this all down. So it's it's also kind of preluding the end of of this story where he will sit down and write the you know the the stories for for that Frodo will read at the beginning of of uh, the Lord of the Rings. So it's um it, it, I think more and more that 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 Peter Jackson tries to um get almost get Bilbo on our side or to get us on Bilbo's side and we're just watching in awe everything that happen happens but also with this Almost, it's it, 
you get the feeling that this this is totally out of hand. You know, this is how can a hobbit stop this? How can how can Bilbo play a role in this huge huge battle? Well, I think that's what the story will 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 show us. And even though you're just a small hobbit, you know, your role um is 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 pivotal. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what they say about the smallest person being changed the course of the future. Yeah. And in fact, I think that was my favorite part of the first film was that line um, from Gladriel. I, I thought that was so well done because that's really, the, I think, the greatest theme of, of all of Tolkien's work is, 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 is showing how even the most insignificant can have a great impact. And I think... Um, if if nothing else, my my great faith in Peter Jackson as a storyteller to have that theme bleed through this film uh, is is certainly affirmed by the the style and the you know the kind of thematic feel of this trailer. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's start our uh, dissection of the trailer. And well, this is going to be one of those discussions where every second I have to stop the 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 flow of the of the trailer, and we'll just just try to not miss any details. Um, but I, it's it's just a lot to take in, and I I cannot imagine that if you see this in theaters in 3D in IMAX and you're blown away by everything, that it, it, how, how do you take it all in? It, I mean, this requires freeze framing. Otherwise, you just get an over an overall emotion, but you you miss like almost everything. So let's play the first bit. Um, and well, we see the logos of Warner Brothers and. MGM, New Line Cinema, and they're all having this kind of wooden, middle-earthy look to it, almost as if they were carved out by uh, by the dwarves. And the first image that we see is of Bilbo sitting in a very dark, definitely dwarven room, um, and he <laughs> seems to be in one of those pensive modes where he's either thinking about what just happened or he is undecided as to what to do. Um, and it, it, it made me think a lot of the of the those initial scenes in 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 his uh, Hobbit hole uh, back in the Shire, where you know he, he all the all the dwarves are back are are gone, and he's he's had this whirlwind and he's pinching himself. Did I just make this all up? Did I dream this? And here he seems to be like, what did I get myself into? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think he's kind of contemplating the the ramifications of the Battle of the Five Armies, which is of course a big theme from the book, where he's thinking about man. I, I think that shot is a, is after Smaug is no longer uh, a threat, and I think mm-hmm. that's definitely in the lead up to, or maybe even during, you know, the the initial stages of con- of conflict, and and that's a, that's such an important theme be- where Bilbo makes that huge decision at some point in this film to uh, to take the Arkenstone. And that's kind of like that's the that's really the whole thrust of the film. Plot well, he he understands, mm-hmm. and I he even expresses it if I remember correctly at the in the very last moments of the previous film. Essentially, a, a "what have we done?" Mm-hmm. kind of thought. Well, but that seemed to apply to the dragon, but it is it's bigger than that. You know what what have we done by? by well returning this treasure to the dwarves with all the temptation that it has uh by, of, of corrupting their um their 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 intentions and he see, he seems to be sitting inside the lonely mountain but i'm i have a i have difficulty seeing exactly where he is there is a table in the background there seems to be a um a statue or something of a dwarf and there is treasure on the table. I can see some um, 
Yeah, I wonder if it's like a seat. tomb or something. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps it's just perhaps one of the many, uh, or 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 it might be a place where the dwarves have convened. It might be just be their war room where they talk, because there is a lot of space there. There's a big table where the dwarves could sit. So it might just actually be a set piece that we will we will have seen previously. But I, I agree with you guys that this might actually be the moment that he decides to go and take the Arkenstone, having seen what the temptation has done to his dwarves. Ah, might be. Um, it looks fantastic, I have to say. <laughs> it's just the, the, it feels it all feels so real, uh, mm. and it's hard to believe that this is all soundstage. Let's continue. One day I'll remember. One day I'll remember, and I'm not sure who he's talking to. Uh, but this, the, the, he utters the phrase inside that dwarven room. He might be talking to a dwarf, or to, but but it, it almost feels as if this this is uh, before the the dwarf hits the fan. <laughs> just, one day I will remember. I'll write it all down. <laughs> I I wonder if I had if I were I, I might bet that he's talking to to be, to Balin. Um, oh yeah, his his uh, kind of tutor in a way. Well, and and Balin is probably one of the more sympathetic dwarves, mm-hmm. and I see yeah. that conversation taking place. Yes, yes. Um, and the next frame shows us uh, I, what I think is Dale. Um, we see snow in the background. There is a kerfuffle happening there, and I can't really tell who is who is, you know, battling who. It's not really a battle, but there seems to be uh, an uproar or something. Um, and then we've got Evangeline Lily's character, who is looking, you know, turning towards I don't know, Legolas. I'm not sure what what she's even doing there. Any theories we're looking at here? It's it's hard to say where I'm pretty sure it, I'm pretty sure it's Lake Town. Um, no, I don't and- I don't think so because it, there is snow, and it's much smaller than Lake Town. Lake Town, remember, was all wood, uh, wooden wooden buildings is built on on uh, a bit like Amsterdam in my country <laughs> on uh, on on wooden poles. Right. Um, whereas the town that I see in the background is all stone. It it looks a bit Italian, just like uh, Dale looked um, in the first movie. So, and the fact that Dale is also high up in the mountains, kind of would would jive with that, because we, we've seen that that at the end of the second movie, winter was falling. Yeah, um, probably it's, it probably is the ruins of Dale. Now that I think about it, because it that does kind of the background does look like the um, the desolation of Smaug that they showed at the end of the last film. It's it's not totally destroyed though. It's it's uh, I mean there's some of the buildings are still there, and uh, I'm I'm thinking this is probably uh, later on in the story when when um, uh, Lake Town has been destroyed and the the remaining survivors of of the attack by Smaug are are heading to to Dale to take refuge there and because it's Dale is still a fortified city and because it's stone it's much less vulnerable to the attacks of the of Smaug than. Uh, than uh, Lake Town was. Well, yes, and I think, and, and, and here's here's my theory. I think on the next shot, when we see we see Gandalf galloping a little, uh, through what I do think is the the ruins of Dale, because that's where the refugees would be, and I think that's where Gandalf would be. So it makes sense that Tariel was in the same location. But is is Tariel was following um, 
the the dwarves and 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 Bilbo, and she felt that you know I cannot stand aside. This is this is this is going to have an impact. What happens here is not just something between the dwarves and the elves. This is something that has ramifications for Middle Earth uh, entirely. And she tries to convince uh, uh, Legolas to to join her. Well, apparently, well, we've seen them fighting to to protect the dwarves. It, apparently, they're still. You know they haven't returned to their uh, to to uh, uh, Legolas's father, um, and they seem to be in the middle of uh, the preparations for this for this attack or war. And I don't know if this is still them trying to prepare for another attack by Schmaug, or whether this is later on in the story when the when the wars are starting to brew. But the fact that she's there as a as an elf in the middle of all these human inhabitants of Dale and Lake Town. It seems to me that the the conflict is not yet there. Yeah, and to me, I would be very interested to see what what is she looking at. I mean, because there's there's plenty of stuff going on behind her that yeah. you know, <clears throat> like a whole battle. Uh, Orlando Bloom's eyes <laughs> <laughs> could very well be. I'm thinking perhaps this is um, the, the kerfuffle in the background is is are the is, is preluding. The, the bigger, uh, you know, the resentments, the fear, the um, the climate in which all these different factions are are starting to oppose each other. Um, the, the, it's, it seems to me that an uproar like that is is a translation of like a general miscontent, discontent, or 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 I don't know, just just chaos. And she is probably just looking at Legolas. You see, see, this is this is going this is not going well. <laughs> It's almost as if she's like observing and and saying, I I told you so, Uh, we need to do something. Remember everything that happened, the good, the bad. Now and there we see um, uh, in the next few frames, uh, Gandalf on his horse galloping through um, people all preparing arms, as far as I can tell, getting ready for battle. There are also ramp, uh, how do you call them, ramparts? Ramp, ramp. Ramparts, yeah. Ramparts, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with some soldiers on them, and uh, the, the 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 next scene seems to indicate that this is because of Schmauk. But then the next scene with Schmauk is actually uh, still Lake Town. It's the destruction of Lake Town. So this uh, it seems to suggest that they're uh, preparing for for the dragon, but they might very well actually be, be preparing for the Battle of Five Armies, and this is much later. I wonder why Gandalf is in such a hurry, and who is who he. Uh, you know wh- where he's heading to yeah. yeah i think this is definitely it's it's gandalf and tariel it, at the ruins of dale i think it's probably still um and, and t- see this is where i'm trying to remember the order of events in the book whether smaug was killed over dale or over lake town mm. i think dale haven't we seen that um uh big um you know the the, the dragon killer before with the black arrows, that's true. Deal. The black arrow, and that was on top of a stone a stone tower. I don't think that was in Lake Town. That's true. That's true. So I, I guess that that make that makes perfect sense. So I I think this would be um, the sequence. Even though they do show the the shot of uh, Smaug laying waste to Lake Town, I think it may just not be in necessary sequential order in the trailer. I do think that these shots of Dale with Gandalf and Tariel are probably after that. And Bart the Bowman had that one arrow, you know, that was, and, and he kept it in Lake Town. So I, I, I bet you that he he brings it to Dale and and you know ultimately uses it to uh, defeat the dragon. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. The, the, I see swords. I see shields. That's not something you that will be of any help against a dragon, right? You're not gonna, you know, pull a sword when that's, there's a flying dragon true. spewing fire at you. So that's what. That's why I think that this is much prob- more probably so, uh, part of of the, this big battle, which I've always imagined taking place in one location. But it might very well. But that that battle has a lot of layers and is moving from place to place, and that there might be a siege of. Of Dale at one point, and uh, and then it will move elsewhere, or there might be concurrent battle scenes. Um, it's it, I wouldn't be surprised if this battle of five armies has a, a just a tremendous scale and will fill up at least half of the movie. And then, of course, uh, Gandalf, you know, our our uh, roaming diplomat is 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 trying to prevent this war from happening. I, I bet you. But I'm not sure if he's going to be uh, successful. By the way, wasn't wasn't he imprisoned in Dol Guldur at the end of the movie? He was. Yes, but he has his ways. Gandalf definitely. <laughs> he has his moths. Yes, yeah. <laughs> 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 floated by. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how they, uh, sh- or whether they will show us how he escaped. Well, somewhere the moths are like, dude, stop it! We keep doing it over and over again. You got to save yourself. Mm, but Bolg is there and Sauron is there and you know how can he get away but perhaps Sauron is distracted by the battle of five armies and that will or by Schmaug even and that will help him escape uh, a bit like uh, uh, Sauron in Lord of the Rings was sometimes yeah. distracted so uh, the hobbits could uh, could could move forward let's see what else happens the bad the good the bad well the bad of course is this amazing looking attack very dramatic of this gigantic dragon flying over uh, uh, what looks to me like a deserted lake town. This is in the in the middle of the night. He spews fire in that in that water, that canal that separates the two, you know, rows of of wooden houses. And uh, the first thing I thought when I saw this was this uh, um, almost prediction of this attack. Remember that sunset. That had this uh, in 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 Lake Town. It was this beautiful. It, I think in one of the previous trailers, it was used with the poem, so that it would actually already remind us of the fire, you know, in the future of of Lake Town. But now we actually see that, and this is almost the same the same image. But instead of the the sunset or sunrise that we saw, it is uh, it's the fire from the dragon. Yes, and this is that. This is the shot. This is the shot that they used for the for the teaser poster, which is just so good. It looks amazing, and the dragon looks enormous. Ah, oh, yeah. Yes. How is it to see that in IMAX in 3D? <laughs> <laughs> and it, by the way, I mean it was by far the most popular uh, trailer. Of course, of course. Uh, so let's see. That is all fire, and uh, the, even the water seems to be on fire, and the houses because they're all wood. Um, just light up so quickly, um, and the devastation is going to be uh, uh, shown in the next few scenes where we see the remains after this attack. The following morning, those who survived, and those that did not. So this is a scene on the opposite shore of Lake Town, and you see the beautiful mountains of New Zealand. Mm. You know what? I've been in. I've been there. <laughs> when I went to New Zealand, I went to, to to those lakes where they filmed stuff like this, or at least they filmed the back background plates, because of course it's all like digitally modified, and 
the mountains that they use are not necessarily all the, in the same place. It, it was so funny that the, at one point I went with a guide into the mountains around uh, Christchurch. Uh, no, not uh, Christchurch, uh, Queenstown. And um, the the guide showed us a, a couple of mountains and they were covered in snow, just like we see here in the trailer. And I was like, do you recognize those mountains? Well, and then look that way. Do you recognize that mountain? Well, in The Lord of the Rings, those two were juxtaposed and they were just <laughs> and they were using the, these two mountains over and over again in different locations. So it's all kind of patchwork <laughs> digitally. But just the thrill of standing there and and uh, it, it truly looks like that. You've got these huge huge lakes uh with this clear blue water and uh and the mountains in the distance and oh man, it's such a beautiful uh country. But here, it's it's nature is almost a, a sharp contrast with the devastation and the smoking remains of uh, of what once was Lake Town in the distance. Yeah, and you can see Legolas and Tariel just kind of looking off into the distance at the destruction, and I I wonder by the way that they're just standing there well, looking at it if if they realize that this is an omen of what what can happen to a well, lot more if the dragon mm-hmm. continues to and it's it's roam. There's, yeah there's a, there's a cer- certain amount of of poetry because now the people of Lake Town as as you know through these subsequent shots you see the destruction of their home and they have to flee uh, the people has to you know flee to the ruins of Dale for protection yes it's basically an exact kind of mirror of what happened to Thorin and his people you're right years yes ago. now they need help and I, I suppose that what we're looking at the camp at their feet is like a well i'm not even sure if it's a refugee camp but it just looks like people have been using boats or perhaps were even swimming to the other side of the lake to you know to get out of that city and you see a few well actually not even tents i see some you know some cloth and everything seems to be in disarray and destroyed yeah it's like a lean to and and it yeah yeah there's it's just yeah, I think we're going to witness a kind of mirrored suffering, and and I think as an audience we can sympathize with with Bard and his people, and I think what we're going to going to see is that Thorin is his is, you know, the madness of the king has made him too bitter to sympathize with the very thing that he had to suffer. Yeah, yeah, which is a. Uh... Also, a, a biblical theme now that I think of it. It's like Israel that has always been on the run and were always refugees. Later on, when they settle, there's always this constant reminder by the prophets, like, don't forget, you yourself have been refugees. So take care of the stranger. And there's always this temptation of, for, of forgetting your own fate and not empathizing enough with people who suffer the same fate later on. So and and that of course is the big drama, the, the the true drama of this story. It's it's like all these factions that should have this common enemy and this big threat, ultimately Sauron at the horizon, but instead the only thing that they see is their immediate threat, because out out of fear, out of resent uh, uh, resentfulness towards what what they perceive other groups have done to them in the past, and there's this inability to get together. And Sauron, in the meantime, is watching and liking what he sees because it will save him a lot of a lot of hassle if they destroy each other. Yes, and I think it's it's interesting in light of that that we see Legolas and Tariel being 
pretty much the the sympathetic elves. Mm -hmm. They're like playing young and naive versions of Gandalf to some degree of trying to run around and save people and help everybody. Um because they they realize that the fight is bigger than themselves, and in a way, this is this is us. They they are our representatives right there, and they're looking at what happened, just like we are looking. That's why we, you know, they're in front of us, standing there as as if we are standing right behind them. Um, and we too, we, we you know, we're like, man, I can't believe that just happened, and what are we going to do now? So it's it's story wise, um, it's like R two D two and C three PO, although. <laughs> it's perhaps not the right the right comparison with Toriel and Legolas. They are a little bit more elegant than R2-D2 and C-3PO. But story-wise, they have that same function of bringing us to all these places and helping us see what happens. And if Peter Jackson is going to honor this story uh, element uh, that Bilbo is going to be knocked out in the Battle of Five Armies during the Battle of Five Armies, you need other guides to show you uh, yes. through their eyes what happens. And that actually might be one of the reasons that they came up with this whole presence of Tariel and uh, and Legolas in this story. Because in the book, of course, they weren't present. I mean, Tariel is made up by Peter Jackson and, and Legolas, well, he was around, but Tolkien hadn't thought of him yet. So, uh, But, but it, it might actually, in hindsight, have been a very smart move to give us two, two elves to empathize with uh, once our, you know, our old guide, Bilbo, is, is temporary, uh, temporarily uh, missing, missing in action. Yeah, that's definitely... That's a very good thought. But, yeah. but it's hard to tell. We'll have to see. But uh, I always, and this has been part of our early discussions. I remember in the first year that we did this podcast, uh, Dave, uh, Kale, and I uh, were constantly about, you know, the Battle of Five Armies. Yes, sure. But how do you make that a battle that we care about? Because it's if it's just a big battle, you can, you can use all the special effects uh, that you have, and it might look grandiose. But if there are no faces in that battle, if you can't empathize with the parties, then it's it's, it's going to be worthless, and we're not going to be emotionally involved. And that's why and I remember having this discussion about that is probably why Toriel was 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 came into existence because we need someone to empathize with. And my big theory has always been that she is going to die in that battle. Yeah, and that Which will they- make it much more you know tragic. Yeah, and it will kind of raise the stakes as well, and, and kind of offer that emotional uh, touch point for the audience. I, and I and that's where I do think there would be a temptation to have Bilbo conscious for the battle. Um, I mean, we already know that there's there that Peter Jackson's going to show the battle in great detail, which you know Tolkien just kind of glosses over. It's all kind of told as a retrospective. Mm-hmm. It's very unusual for like when you're talking about a, a a fantasy book that you know it's the climax of the book. You think, well, we gotta hear all about the details of the battle, but no, it's kind of like a, well, and then uh, and then Dale and the, uh, from the Iron Hills showed up, and then Bairn showed up, and then all the elves showed up. It was a big party of a fight, and then it was over. Which is kind of how it ends. You know, uh, Tolkien did that on purpose, of course, because he was... He was telling a bedtime story initially, and uh, you know he didn't want to dwell on the big war or anything, and because you know it's not for children. Plus, it is uh, also shifting the balance of the book 
this, that was not the story that he initially tried to tell. However, over time, as we know, Tolkien has changed his mind about the role of the story of The Hobbit in the bigger framework of you know, the history of Middle-earth. And he, he continued to, to polish and rewrite The Hobbit. And he was actually still rewriting The Hobbit when he died. And so we know for sure that had he had more time, The Hobbit itself might have been a totally different story. Um, and definitely was opening up more and more to the bigger scale of um, of The Lord of the Rings. And it's probably a, also a situation that he could, or a problem that he could never solve without really fundamentally changing the narrative of The Hobbit. So it's something that he himself probably didn't dare to do, didn't want to do. But this is an interpretation of the entire framework by Peter Jackson. And he is, I think, going where... Tolkien just couldn't go and and in a way I think that is good because this is not just a retelling of the story you know like chapter by chapter this is an interpretation it's almost as if you have a pianist who's playing a, a piece of classical music following the notes and then ends with this big improvisation based on the same themes and just expanding it and making it more beautiful and adding to it and it becomes this whole thing in itself is that necessarily bad? Well, it's not exactly what was written on the on the paper by the original composer, but it is a work of art in itself, and it's still inspired by. So, and and Peter Jackson and and some of the actors recently during the um, many interviews that were given during Comic Con have said this is not going to be the last time you will see this story. You know, twenty years, thirty years from now, fifty years from now, or if the companies get really greedy, five years from now there might be a reboot, and this story will be told another time and differently. <laughs> If the trend of Spider-Man tells us anything... Oh, please, no, no, no. I would hate that, really, if five years from now we're going to see a reboot of The Lord of the Rings. I don't want that. I'd rather they adapt the Silmarillion into... I know. Peter Jackson was asked about that again. Um, And and, uh, I forgot where he gave that interview, but it was really... It was nice because he, he said a few things... First of all, that he was so proud of the Battle of Five Armies, and it was not just a usual PR thing, but he says this is truly um, what we've been working on for so many years, kind of using every little bit of information that we could find in Tolkien to make this story bigger and to give it the scope that it deserves. And he's very proud with the result. In a way, this is the culmination of everything that he worked for. Emotionally, is uh, he's very happy with the movie. He had a great time um, f- filming The Hobbit, which is also, I think, fantastic to hear. Even though he dreaded uh, directing these movies because of the the constraints that he had during The Lord of the Rings and how much of a toll it took on his family and on himself and on his health. This time, he is in a totally different place. He's got he has no worries about money or people. And uh, so he's it, for him, it's been a blast. And I think it, it, it transpires in a movie. Uh, but he also um, said when he was asked about, uh, you know, is this the last time that we will see Middle Earth? He said, you know, let's just be honest. You know, these are the stories that we have the rights to. Christopher Tolkien is is protecting the rest of, of his father's legacy. Um, uh, and he's very strong minded about what he wants and what he doesn't want um so for now until that changes this is going to be the end uh he said and and just by saying that i think that is realistic you know until that changes we never know 
We can't know. We can't tell. Perhaps 10 years from now, the situation might have changed because Christopher Tolkien, you know, his the, his successors might make different choices have, or, or perhaps a century or two centuries from now. Who knows? Ultimately, these stories will become public domain and... You know, we might not see the, those those movies or whatever it is at that time, <laughs> but uh, these stories will continue to be told in, for centuries to come. Absolutely. Mm. Let's move on with the trailer here. Home is behind. We see another view of uh, Lake Town. This time, it's a helicopter shot. One of those famous shots that they did, of course, usually as just as. Um, uh, secondary footage. Just th- there are no people. There is no Lake Town in the original footage, um, but they just use you know their techniques to paste it in. But you get a very good um, view and a good idea of where exactly this uh, Lake Town is located. And it, I now I also understand where the previous scene t- takes place. I thought it was on the other side of the lake because you see Lake Town in the distance, but there is also a considerable space or a patch of water between the town itself and there seems to be a bridge a wooden bridge between the town in the middle of the lake and then the riverside or the well yeah i i assume it's a river the lakeside um so i guess the the refugees were all there on the other side um and now you see them all heading up the mountains mm-hmm. and they're not that many people that's another thing that strikes me there must have been thousands of deaths perhaps even more and this, this reminds me of King Theoden's people on the way to Helm's Deep, actually. True. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. This might also be another like structural uh, mirror of, of those events. And they definitely are refugees. They need shelter. They need a, 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 a new place to hide. Well, let's not the... forget that um, the, the audio that just faded in at this moment of the trailer... Because I remember I was, uh, while Comic-Con was going on, I was doing what what any good Tolkien nerd was doing. And I was glued to my laptop, following different people who were live tweeting the panel and mm-hmm. posting up. Uh, TheWandering.net had a great page that they were constantly updating with, with stuff. And I was wait, just waiting for the trailer and, and really just really wishing I was in San Diego. Right? <laughs> right yes. And... When the trailer played, the first takeaway from everyone, the first thing everyone tweeted wasn't that, oh, the dragon was amazing, or, oh, you should have seen Thor and say we're going to war, or anything. No. It was, did you hear the song? Yeah. Boy. And I was, and that, at which point I just kind of like, all right, I'm just, I'm just leaving. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Getting too angry that I'm not in San Diego. Because yes. it's such a beautiful moment from, from the Lord of the Rings, and it's so applicable to, to the themes uh, of of this final film, and and I'll tell you what it's ah, it's one of those things where at last year's Dragon Con or the Dragon Con before when we went here in Atlanta, uh, Billy Boyd mm-hmm. was one of the guests. In fact, we interviewed him for, uh, at the time. And wow! In fact, maybe, uh, if we have another like, like a dry spot, I know the last episode we kind of had a mm-hmm. feature in one of the panels. Maybe I'll come together. We we have a couple of interviews with different Hobbit slash Lord of the Rings cool. folks together someday but uh, but that's neither here nor there what i do want to mention is that billy boyd was asked and it was really early in the morning so i don't blame him it's like can you do a performance of home is behind (laughs) and the crowd just erupted and and sadly he couldn't because it was early in the morning and he was just not able to and he felt terrible about it but Mm -hmm. 
he said, I'll tell you what, next time, the moderator, he's like, oh, I understand, Billy's tired. Tell you what, we'll, we'll tell you, next time Billy, Billy comes in, we'll have him do uh, a performance. Cool. Uh, uh, when he next comes to Dragon Con. I say all that to say, guess who's coming to Dragon Con this year? Oh, <laughs> nice. You got to help him remember that promise. <laughs> going to say it right here on air on the Secrets of the Hobbit podcast. If I'm in a panel, uh, I, I'm going to get myself in line, get yep. up to the microphone, <laughs> and remind him of his said promise, and hopefully capture audio of it uh, and play it here. <laughs> sing, Hobbit, sing! <laughs> it, it, this moment also is so applicable to the song because, and I mean, for, for some of us who might be tempted to think, well, why is this song playing? It's it's a Lord of the Rings song. It's not a Hobbit song, which I, I don't really agree with that thought, but I can understand it. But literally, for these refugees, their home is behind, and the world and all of the scary things that it holds is ahead of them. And they have no idea what's going to happen next. Yes, yeah. the, I've got the lyrics here of the of the poem because it's just one of the many poems of Tolkien that was turned into a song for the movie. Um, and and also keep in mind that sometimes those poems were in totally different locations. Some of them are were taken from other parts of of uh, Tolkien's oeuvre and applied to the situation that we see in in the in the movie. Well, here's the here's the the full text. Home is behind, the world ahead, and there are many paths to tread, through shadow to the edge of night, until the stars are all alight. Mist and shadow, cloud and shade, all shall fade, all shall fade. It's nice, and it almost seems like it's all gonna pass. You know, it's kind of this, uh, whatever happens, you know, what is behind us is behind us, and it will fade away over time. So it's also a song almost of, you know, looking ahead at, at, at less dire times when, when all this will have fade, faded away. Or it might also, and that's, of course, what a poem does, have another meaning. Um, you know, everything will pass. Ultimately, there's nothing you can hold on, uh, hold on to, and it will all be destroyed or it will all go away, and you have to move on. And I'm trying to find out where this poem, where this text originally stems from. Whether this was actually from the Lord of the Rings or it, it was. Yes, it was a part of a poem. Uh, I, I think it's titled "Upon the Hearth." The fire is red, but it was a walking song oh. in the Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. okay. Um, so it was one that uh, that Bilbo sang. Yeah, I've got it here. Yeah, the walking song. Uh... And then, of course, Gandalf does utter it in the, in the previous Hobbit film where he says, Home is behind, the world ahead. Oh, wow. I, For that? I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's just, it's it's not, you know, it's not even like, Poems just like a saying he utters that you kind of get. Mm -hmm. So um, let's return to the trailer here. Um, follow these refugees. The world ahead. We see a short clip of dwarves uh, hurrying down the stairs inside the Lonely Mountain. Again, that beautiful architecture of these fantastic caverns and massive statues of dwarves, very reminiscent uh, 
of uh, you know if you've ever played uh, Lord of the Rings online game, um, it's a very familiar territory. Um, and again, it just looks impressive. But the the fact that these dwarves are in a hurry again yeah. seems to lead up to what we see later on, and that this that they have found their uh, armor and are readying themselves for battle. Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit because it's hard to tell in the actual trailer unless you have it loaded in super high definition and mm -hmm. look really closely, which is what, of course, the good folks over at the OneRing.net have done. Uh -huh. And I, I'm looking at their trailer analysis. They're saying it's Feely, Keely, Boffer, and Oin, which are the, the four who were left behind at Lake Town. Oh, yeah. I was wondering what happened to them. So this is them somehow Ooh. back in Erebor. We just don't know how. They So they did escape. Hmm. So... Because uh, I always wondered how that that would that plot point would be handled. Yes. And I think, yes. I, I think that'll be uh, that'll be part of the thrust of the film is is that them reuniting with the dwarves. I think that'll be at a significant moment. I just I'm not sure where it would be in the film. And can you tell what kind of clothes they are wearing? Are they already wearing the armor, or is this just their regular clothes? I honestly can't tell by looking at the trailer. Okay, I'm trying to see, but it's it's like I'm I'm playing this in 1080p, but even that doesn't. I need 4K. <laughs> yeah, enough. I downloaded the screenshot and I'll zoom in and see see if it works. This is a hard hitting investigative uh, <laughs> reporting. It's one of them seems to be carrying a backpack or, or or a shield or something on his back. Yeah, actually, they they all are carrying something, uh, like they're carrying supplies. Okay, a and. It looks like one of them is wearing a cloak. Yeah, I can't. I can't tell. I, I do think it's a, it. It's just so hard to say, say because that kind of plot thread is. I mean, but it's they're, obviously they're wearing they're wearing the book, so green really and brown is really what it looks I, like. Yeah, I don't think they're in armor yet. Yeah. 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 But it's, that's going to be one of the surprises of this of this uh, story, of this version of the story, is you know that this was added to the previous movie. Uh, it's not in the books, so well, well, we'll discover. The next scene is intriguing because you see this statue of a dwarf, um, and it's in pieces, and they're trying to lift it up. And um, I've heard several theories about this. One is, well, they're just trying to reestablish this statue of a dwarf to show that they're back, you know, they're back in power. But um, in one analysis, uh, they said, well, you know what? This actually might just be cannon fodder, uh, fodder lit literally. They're using these pieces of, of broken statues to sling at the enemy in a battle. But there are dwarfs... Who's that on the left? Um, that's what's his name? Oh gosh, <laughs> I totally forgot. Um, it's the uh, good-looking uh, uh, dwarf, I think. What's his name again? Who has the flirt with um, Tori? Yeah, I always confuse Feely and Killy. Uh, yeah. I believe in Feely. <laughs> the 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 name that ends with Ely. <laughs> anyway, yes, it's one yeah. of those two. It's one of the Elys. Uh, I do wonder if the four that are returning. You know, like we, we see those four on the steps. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they will be more sympathetic towards the people of Lake Town than Thorin would Oh, yeah, perhaps. Maybe not the people of Lake Town, but certainly the elves. I could see uh, Keeley being more sympathetic. Well, and that would, of course, be very interesting to the story if the dwarves, instead of being all united and behind their leader, 
have like this internal descent on you know but no let's not go to war let's and then of course you've got the question at the end of this trailer you know will you follow me one last time yes and and that's what if nothing else even if they do all follow him it's not like like i could see say keely uh if if keely makes the decision and his brother uh, make the decision to follow thorn anyway there's kind of a, a greater weight behind that decision it's not just like, well, I guess we've been following you, so we'll do it again. It's like they may legitimately question whether it's the best thing, but they'll follow Thorin anyway because, well, he's Thorin and he's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, they might also, or Peter Jackson might have written something else where some of the dwarves are actually defecting and will join, I don't know, the elves or the humans or trying to, to just do the dip- diplomatic role, you know, trying to appease the parties. There's there's plenty of there are so many options to make this this whole story of the war of the five armies interesting and well, anyway it seems that here at least they're either rebuilding something or um, there might also be something beneath the statue they're trying to find something I'm I'm not sure it's kind of hard to tell it's a close up I... but it looks like to me that this is still perhaps in the one of the areas in you know at the entrance to the lonely mountain then we see a, a close-up shot of bart the bowman this is also from the looks of it in dale and he is looking at the sunlight and just thinking and then we get this mysterious shot it's snowing and we see um I think also Dale, yeah, it has to be Dale. Um, After a battle, and a a pretty gruesome battle because there are dead bodies all all over the ground, you've got dead humans, but also two dead elves. And it's, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Thranduil. Thranduil, who uh, has his sword in his hand and is walking through the bodies. And there's this beautiful elegant statue of um not sure what animal that is a deer or something um almost a symbol of innocence in the middle of all this uh this this mayhem or the results of this this terrible tragedy and mm-hmm. uh what's he doing there i i know that and why are the elves there together with the humans what happened well, and I think that'll go back to what we'll see later in the trailer with uh, with the Elven Guard at seemingly at the command of Bard. Hmm, interesting. Through shadow. The next shot shows us something totally different: uh, two bare feet of someone in a wide dress. So I assume this is a a, a female character, and I'm thinking, could it could this be Galad- Galadriel? I, th- I think that's what most people are thinking, I and think the, uh, that was my. Will tell us. <laughs> <laughs> but she's walking through the water, and it looks very cold. <laughs> yes. Yeah, then there's actually there's a skull next to her feet. Like I didn't notice that first time around. A skull. I see some weapons. I think or remains of. Well, anyway, it's just rubbish. I, I, I don't see the skull, but it, it, it does look as if there is a, has been a battle as well. part of the shot. You can, like, when her right <laughs> foot steps down, you can kind of see it. Oh, wow. Like, round object in the foreground. I really have to freeze frame here. Like, <laughs> <it's> pretty... 
Yeah, it could be a skull. But the next scene is, makes it obvious that it's her because she is kissing Gandalf on his forehead and Gandalf seems to be battered and bruised, which makes me think, this could this be in Dol Guldur? It definitely has the color palette of Dol Guldur. It's very dark and grim. Yeah, because I started to think Dale for a minute, but you know what? That would make sense, which I think make more well, sense. Well, especially with... Like I, I really do think that was a skull. I'm not imagining it. Mm-hmm. No, it's possible. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, this is Dol Guldur. Well, that, that would be Dol Guldur. Yeah, that and would then, of course, I mean, it looks as if he's been comp- attacked or unconscious. There is blood from streaming from his nose into his beard. It, 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 he looks in a very bad shape. And um, isn't there also going to? Be, there's supposed to be this fight between him and the the the. the the dwarf, right? Um, uh, ah, Thorin's father isn't he? Isn't he imprisoned in Dol Guldur, and completely crazy? That's true. Although I, I'm trying to remember if he would still be alive at this point. Um, but yeah, no, I think he is. Uh, father Thrain. Because Thrain oh. isn't it Thrain who gives him the key? Yes, who gives Gandalf the key? Oh, and then, so could yeah. this be? Uh, could this be a flashback? That's okay. Yeah, hmm, hmm. that'd be interesting. Could go either way, but we we haven't seen that confrontation with Thrain yet. That this is true. In fact, we've we've barely we we've seen Thrain uh, on screen a few times in flashbacks, so it wouldn't be too much out of character. And that is a really fascinating part of the story. That is from directly from the book. It's it, it's actually as much as the you know the material is coming from the appendices or just altogether added. That that plot thread of passing the key. Uh, to Gandalf is directly from the books. You know, yes. and I just, I just had a thought too uh, with the Galadriel scene. The way that she's walking and it's all slow motion, and her dress is flowing, and she's, she's barefoot. If this is in Dol Guldur, could this almost be like a Arwen and Aragorn thing when Aragorn in the Two Towers falls into the river, and you know Arwen's kiss wakes him up, but of course she wasn't actually really there. Well, there definitely seems to be this um, kind of mystical relationship between Gandalf and and Galadriel. And isn't it in the meeting that they have in Rivendell that she says, you know, when you need me, just give me a call and I'll be there? That sounds like a pop song. But (laughs) 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 does. When is the the rap solo going to interlude come in the middle? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's a good point. I think that... And, and guys, guys, remember the freak out in the first Hobbit trailer when it, it was just like Gandalf and her like kind of talking a little bit too close or uh-huh. like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's happening here. But um. No, but it's that same kind of tender relationship uh, where they they definitely are a pair in a, in a certain way, um, but it's on a... It kind of transcends just you know earthly love, or there is just this this connection that the two have, and Galadriel is, is is definitely the one who seems to be able to transcend you know space and time. Um, there's something magical about this scene because she, that's probably why they show the bare feet also to evoke that that she's not you know she's almost floating over uh, the destruction there and. Um, and the kiss, yeah, might just be another symbol of that whatever metaphysical help that she's giving Gandalf or the life that she breathes in him so he can continue his uh, his his job. 
But it's it's a it's a pretty amazing scene. It's something like, like visually, like wow, Gandalf. I've never seen Gandalf in a in a situation like this. I mean, he's, he's almost he, he's dying or just crazy. But anyway, that's not the end. Uh, the end of Gandalf. He'll he'll recover, and I don't think they will let him die because that's something for the Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> he stays the Gandalf the Grey, but he gets close here. You had to have started as Gandalf the Black and then died. <laughs> now I'm Gandalf the Purple. <laughs> Ta-ta. <laughs> no. I think that's that would be irrespectful. But there's definitely uh, Galadriel, again, seems to be the one who, in times of need, is almost like an angel. Isn't that what it, this evokes? It's like the angel in, in, in need, the guardian angel of, of Gandalf. Yes, yes. Good I'm comparison. not sure if that fits the you know the hierarchy in 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 Tolkien's f- f- mindset, but it 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 works. I mean, she definitely looks like uh, the, the the saving angel here. To the, edge of night. the next shot brings us back into the Lonely Mountain, and we get this beautiful pan uh, camera pan over the the treasure beneath the feet of the dwarves, who are all standing on a ledge on the right side, except for Thorin. I think he was standing on the uh, much closer to the treasure, alone. Again, symbolism there. It's like the he he is already mesmerized and enchanted by the treasure and by its alluring power, and of course uh, the Arkenstone. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of a bitter sort of, bittersweet victory here. Oh yeah, and it's kind of where the trailer the the tone changes a bit. Uh, you know, you see the darker colors. You see the next shot is Thor and kind of almost looking suspicious as yes. he's right in the trailer. And that kind of glow, it, the glow of the gold is almost kind of like a the, the same glow of the fire of Smaug, which I think is really cool visually. Yeah, it looks a bit sickly almost there. It's, it's uh, yeah. It doesn't look alluring at all. It's just like no, something is wrong here. <laughs> yes, his next look. I love that. It's 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 he, he is. Looking from the right to the left, and you can tell that he is suspicious. He 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 doesn't trust something, or he's you know it's like emotionally unstable. Yes, and just by the look, I'm, I, that's great acting that you can do that, but in in one second, convey uh, that. Yes. Bethany, you were about to say something. I I was just going to say he. he I I mean, it's not just the the madness or or an insanity look too but he looks he looks so unhappy yes yeah yeah it's true and alone he was the the big leader and 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 now it's i don't know who he's looking at but it might very well be that he's like looking from bilbo to the dwarves and you know who am i going to to trust and the next shot is amazing this was to me the wow moment in the trailer where the dwarves are marching in through the halls of the Lonely Mountain. But this time they're all dressed in glorious armor, which they evidently found among the treasures in the Lonely Mountain. Every single armor is different. And it looks just fantastic. Oh, Oh, it does. And someone's noticeably not in armor, I will also say in that shot. Yeah, Bilbo is standing there in his pajamas. (laughs) He's just like standing there like, uh... Wait, what now? Looks really uncomfortable. Yes. Um, <laughs> Very vulnerable, which is, I think, exactly what they want to show. It's like yeah. this, this, this Bilbo is even more vulnerable than we've seen him before. And yet, with all their armor, 
uh, and military power, uh, the dwarves are ultimately the losers in this uh, in this story. I like that one of the dwarves is still wearing his goofy hat, <laughs> despite his armor. True. <laughs> oh, goodness. And Thorin looks amazing, too. He's got this huge shield uh, on which he's leaning. And uh, the even the armor itself has that dwarven look to it with these sharp angles and the same design that you see mirrored in the in the walls and the pillars around them so very square just like a character and whereas the the elves that which we will see later on in armor everything is round and curved and it's the elegance and just the the, the design of these movies that alone makes this one of the most amazing franchises ever ever made for uh, for the silver screen i think during the panel, during the Comic Con panel, uh, someone asked Peter Jackson about it, and he did kind of tease that he would love to see someday a, a Lord of the Rings museum with all these different props. Yes. Oh, yes. Totally. That, and he said they, they've kept pretty much all of them. They're they're all still, you know, in New Zealand. Um, oh, of course. I mean, the guy has the entire Shire in his backyard. Did you know that? <laughs> he took the entire set, everything, and rebuilt the Shire in his backyard. And because, then, the, and then for the Hobbit, they rebuild it again in you know in Mata Mata. <laughs> why not? You're Peter Jackson. Why? That's exactly what I would do. I would so want to be Peter Jackson's nephew. <laughs> Imagine yeah. that, you know. Can we stay with uh, with Uncle P- Uncle Jackson? <laughs> Uncle Peter, can we sleep in the Hobbit house tonight? It's amazing, and 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 it's true that uh, over at Weta Studios, they've got. Um, they they show the tourists just a sample of what they have, but they you know the swords are there. I've seen the shields and the the armor, and it was all hanging there. And the funny thing is, a lot of those swords are, are rubber, and they they give demonstrations of look, this is totally this is not <laughs> not real because it was used in fighting. And but yes, they have huge archives, just like Lucasfilm has for Star Wars. And uh, I, I I bet you that we will see like these you know exhibitions and it might they might actually you know do something that travels the world just like what they did with star wars but it's 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 amazing looking and uh, you know what it's and it's all real stuff yes they use rubber swords for the fighting scenes but the rest it's all built by traditional blacksmiths and everything and traditional techniques and what's interesting just on a quick side commentary, mm-hmm. and I, I, I apologize, this is not really directly related to the trailer, but I, when you say that, Father, I was thinking about how Peter Jackson's skill for using CGI well seems to be in the way that anything that directly interacts with the people on screen, with the actors on screen, so all the armors and props, so much of that is, is, is a physical prop. Mm-hmm so beautifully crafted that really seems to help with with not only just the visual side of things but also the acting side of things yes, as yes. an actor in full costume because he's not he's not shy of cgi um in fact because that's as, as a huge star wars fan i i, I realize one, one of my pet peeves is that there's almost as much green screen used in return of the jedi as there are, is in the prequels mm-hmm. the thing is how you use it and what yes. you decide to make you know uh cgi and what you decide to keep practical and i think that uh, Peter Jackson is certainly a master of of getting that balance just right. Well, and it's more than just functional. It's it's not just well that will have help the actors have a better performance. The people that I spoke with uh, of Weta Studios, they were like, we know that what we are spending like days on to make might not even be visible on the screen. 
but we do it because we love it and we think this this story deserves it and it's it's kind of like they create this world and they know very well that uh a lot of it is gratuitous it's almost it's i think it's 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 amazing to see a company being that creative and it's always like you know since they don't have to worry about money they can focus just on what they love doing and that is to create stuff that looks awesome and whether or not it will end up in a movie is almost secondary to the the people that work there and that's something that you rarely see in in a, in a world where everything seems to be you know monetized and 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 but i think it's also part of the of the kiwi style of doing things you know it's much less this 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 um industrial way of making movies they make movies because they love making movies they love making this stuff and you can't work at weta you know in the art department if you don't have a very profound love of the craft that you contribute to uh, to the movies and that, that i think that somehow subconsciously you feel that as a viewer at this world you only see glimpses of it but it is so much bigger and more beautiful than what we actually end up seeing in the movie Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, just one one second. I, I I downloaded the image and looked at it more closely just because the armor is so amazing. And <laughs> Bill uh-huh. is actually wearing uh, his mithril. mithril. Yeah. Oh, right. It's That's just, what I know, thought was his so light and pajamas. Thin. Yes. No, it's very very pajama like. But so huh? So he might actually get to wear a, a armor as well. How are but, they going to find armor that fits him? the most uh, protective pajamas in the world yes wow okay defining chapter and then you see one of those Orlando Bloom stairs he's talking to Bart Bowman and this is uh, from the looks of it uh, also still on the shore so this is this must follow or precede the other scene that we saw with uh, where he's standing with Tariel overlooking um, the refugee camp and he's looking to the left, to his left. He's standing with his back to the to the um, to the lake. So he's not looking in the opposite direction of Dale. Hmm. And then we've get we get this intriguing scene. Also looks fan- amazing of Barta Bowman, and in front of him. An, a, a, a huge army of elves, and these warriors evoke very much the 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 army that we saw in um, the Two Towers, um, the battle at Helm's Deep, that kind of stuff. Uh, but also even the big battle in the very first scenes, the, the exposition part of the Lord of the Rings with the battle between Sauron. Um, you know, the ancient battle. It's, it's this very elegant, almost old-fashioned armor that they're wearing. Mm-hmm. But the big question is, this is in the same space, by the way, the same set that we see uh, earlier on with Gandalf on his horse. But this time it seems to be empty. And you've got this big elven army. What is going on here? Well, and I have to wonder if this is tied in with Legolas a moment ago talking to Bard. You know, is this where oh. Thranduil shows up? And you know. Could this be actually Legolas's work that he brought in these elves to help? Mm-hmm. Perhaps against the will of his father? Mm. Ooh, that would be uh, material like, for a conflict. My, where did my elven guard go? <laughs> <laughs> huh. Pardon me, it, should be, it would be more along the lines of, 
Where did my elven god go? <laughs> but they seem they seem to be there to help. And and yes, as you said, um Bart seems to be the one who's commanding them. Because they're opening uh, a corridor for him so he can walk through. Um, so even the elves might be divided. Well, and again, this goes back. If you just look at that shot, you, those are obviously practical effects. All yes. of those pieces yes. of armor. It's real. It's mm-hmm. made. Sorry, mm-hmm. this is a Weta Workshop uh, fanboy moment. No, yeah. absolutely. Mist and shadow. And then we get another shot. It's one of the rare shots of uh, Bilbo. And it's snowing, and he's leaning against a rock. And he's looking very concerned. And he seems to also be battered and bruised and ha- probably has been in a some kind of... Or perhaps he just slipped. <laughs> but it doesn't look too good and very worried. But I'm not sure where to situate this other than, you know, it's snowing. So it's probably around Dale. And then we go to something totally different, almost a, like a a change of style and pace. You get this like, this big chase over the a frozen river in a in a chariot, mm-hmm. <laughs> pulled Jackson. by rams. By Peter, rams. <laughs> Peter Jackson just can't resist a good chase scene at some point. You know that there's going to be a, some kind of great pursuit, like with Fellowship yes. of the Ring. You had Arwen and the Black Riders. And, of course, in the previous Hobbit film, uh, we had the, the barrel riding scene. And here we have a ram chariot. Yes. And it definitely looks like a chariot, including the knives or the swords on, this, on both sides just stuck in the wheels. So this is a war machine. This is straight out of uh, Charlton Heston's... Ben-Hur. Uh, and, and <laughs> it is. But, but I, I was wondering, first of all, what the heck is happening here and what, where are they going? I think I see Dale in the distance. They're coming from the Lonely Mountain. Um, it's, they're, it's, they're in a hurry. So is this because they're um, chasing something or someone? Is this because they're trying to warn someone? They're dwarves, I think, on, on top of it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's Balin, Balin, and Feely on, oh, wow. the, uh, on the war chariot. So wow. could they be hurrying to Dale and trying to um, warn them of the impending, you know, another attack by the dragon? Although this, you know, the, the, the river is frozen. And I don't think it was the water was frozen at the end of the second movie. So I, I wonder if, if the dragon is still around. And, of course, we don't know exactly how much time well, Schmaug has to, you know, destroy. And he might go into hiding and be back again. And they can spin that out as well. Can, we can, I mean, a, a couple of questions we can answer. This has to be after Dane arrives because unless they had just a bunch of rams hanging out <laughs> with Schmaug, <laughs> which I don't think that they would last that long, uh, it, the, this war chariot almost certainly came from Dane of the Iron Hills. Um, which of course we'll see later um, in one of the battle shots. That so that makes sense that they are actually there, and this is just part of their. You know, these are their tanks that they're bringing to the battle. <laughs> this is that's such a great comparison. <laughs> Dwarven tanks. They look like tanks. <laughs> this is very sturdy. It's from a. It's it's kind of out of the blue, but from a visual standpoint, it it. I think it, it'll be great. I, it's one of those things because uh, I think it could make some fans nervous because. Like I remember even reading the book, uh, one of the lines that really jumped out to me the first time I read The Hobbit was how 
Dane from the Iron Hills, they had hoisted 60-pound packs, and they were only four feet tall, and mm-hmm. they marched without, you know, without camping for eight days because they're dwarves, and they're awesome. Like, I, as a kid, I always, dwarven culture was always my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, like, I thought, man, that's so cool. They just kept marching, and they came straight to, to you know, go to battle with the irritating haughty elves. You know, that's, because as an 11-year-old <laughs> who's reading the book, you kind of want to pick somebody to root for. So yes. I was kind of rooting <laughs> Um, of course, that's what's so great about the Hobbit is that instead of just being black and white, you realize that you know Thorin, who was one of my favorite characters, you realize his weaknesses towards the end of the book. And I just, I just remember reading it for the first time and just how impactful that was. Realizing that even Thorin, who had grown to be you know my favorite character possibly, met next to maybe Bilbo, how he even he was vulnerable to the weaknesses of greed. Yes. Um, anyway, I, I say all that to say, so I, I could see how Tolkien, some Tolkien fans would be a little nitpicky or afraid that it's just a visual, it's just, it's kind of glamour and flash just for the sake of glamour and flash. No, I don't think so. I think, I mean, this is just, we, we probably get to see much more about the preparations that lead up to the Battle of Five Armies. This is just part of what we need to see. And then it totally makes sense even that um, these dwarves, you know, are are trying to, you know, did, they might just steal one of those chariots and, 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 and try to prevent the war. Who knows? Uh, but that thing, thing definitely looks like made out of iron and a little bit of wood. So, yeah, coming from the iron, iron, iron hills, that makes sense. Um, and I have to say, <laughs> the whole sequence looks fantastic. Even the slippery, you know, ice, and then the wargs. We get we get the winter wargs. Did you see that? These Wait, wargs look different in every movie, but they have this winter fur, very thick fur. Yeah. Oh. So they they jump from a from a, a rock. We see the entrance, I think, to the Lonely Mountain in the background, and and their fur is very different from the sleek fur that they had in previous uh, movies, and it's much more like these. There might actually be different different you know tribes of or i don't know how that works with the uh, different types of of wargs which would explain also why the wargs in the lord of the rings are very different from the wargs that we've seen in in the hobbit mm. well i'm looking so that's that definitely sense. that's definitely erebor in the background of of the shot with the uh with mm-hmm. the wargs that's, but and of course you mean you with the wargs like charging yeah charging the ram I say charging the ram like it's a weapon but charging the rams who are carrying the chariot um and as I look at it, so that we have, uh, yeah, we kind of glossed over right. the fact that this is a frozen river that they're running on, or yeah, basically, yeah, or basically, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but I'm I'm looking at this and thinking, I wonder if like part of the theme of the dragon being gone, like how much time passed in the book, how much time passed after the dragon's death and the battle of the five armies. I do remember it was some time. It wasn't like the next day. No, oh no, certainly not. No, no, no. There's many weeks or perhaps even months. So I, yeah. I was going to say mm-hmm. if it's like a change of seasons, I, that would be kind of an interesting thrust where this film has, these the previous two films kind of move along at such a fast pace. In fact, like some people, I, I remember, I tried to remember whose review it was of the Desolation of Smaug. It was almost like a chase movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and... And I, I kind of like the idea of if, if there is a moment to kind of park on the story a little bit, maybe in the second act of the film, where the season is changing and that's where Thorne begins to descend into madness. 
Well, and you need time to establish the lead up to the war. And one thing that Peter Jackson said, what he liked about uh, the storyline of, of uh, the Battle of Five Armies was that everything is already established. There no no introduction of new characters or, or new protagonists. The, the, not, not even new locations. We've all we we've seen what 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 we've seen is what we will see in this third movie. But instead, he can focus on the characters and on, uh, you know, making that the lead up to that battle credible. And I think that just requires time. It's not you don't turn mad in in the span of two days. And I think having that entire season, it's winter. It's it's usually a time where you 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 even every everybody gets a little bit more kind of turned towards themselves and 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 closing the doors because of the cold. But it's also kind of symbolic of. Uh, you know the, the the winter is coming, like they say in Game of Thrones. You know, it's like the war is coming. Mm-hmm. So it's dark and full of terrors. Yes, <laughs> but this is you can bet that this is going to be a huge sequence because we we see the same chariot I think later on, but then it's in the streets of Dale <laughs> heading down some stairs. It's crazy. Will you have peace or war? Oh, Again, that's uh, Bart. Facing Thorin, and Thorin is is there in the armor of his father, looking very impressive. Ah, oh. and war. <laughs> it's the last word. It's so good. He's scary. Yeah, he is kind of scary. And the, the the dwarves around him look concerned. They was like, okay, this is Thorin Thorin saying it, but what does it entail? Yeah. Yeah. Achilles in the background is like, oh, let's think about that. Okay, war. <laughs> war. War. Well, the war immediately becomes visible in Thranduil fighting orcs in, I think, also Dale. Yeah, this must be Dale. But again, I, I wonder what he's doing there. It's almost as if he is in Dale after something terrible happened. Oh, perhaps... No, you know what? This could be the the storyline. Thranduil discovers that his son has basically started a mutiny, has taken part of his army to defend Dale. And that defense turns out to be a disaster and all his elves are killed. And Thranduil goes after his missing elves, but also after his missing son. You know, this is a father going after his son, and he sees all that death and destruction and assumes that his son was also killed in the battle. And that is why you see an anger and a rage in him slashing, at, you know, at these, these orcs because he thinks that the orcs have killed his son. And, 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 he, and, 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 and like the last time he saw his son, there was, they, you know, there was, a, there was a clash. It was the typical father-son problem where you know and and so his rage is perhaps also an expression of his inability to make amends with his son and now he thinks his son is dead father Mm -hmm. if if they don't do that i'll be angry now (laughs) (laughs) that must be it i mean that explains why he's there alone and why he looks so like shell-shocked almost well and it's 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 almost like because you you know or Legolas is kind of the young, inexperienced uh, elf who's who's going out with you know he he like he takes twenty guards and he thinks he's going to change the fate of the of the universe with his twenty elf guards that he takes to Bard perhaps and Tariel's out there and then it, it could be it could almost be like Thranduil's like all right 
There's an absolute miserable failure. Time to bring out the big guns. I'm gonna ride in here on my giant on my giant deer and, and take care <laughs> of things now. Uh, now, now that my son messed things up, I could kind of see that. Well, and, and it would give him the motivation to be part of that battle. Yeah, he blames the orcs. And, and again, this is this is the way in which Peter Jackson is going to make that war, uh, that battle personal. Because this is personal. This is about he thinks the orcs have killed his son and and Toriel and you know and he has seen the bodies of all these other soldiers. He's not aware that 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 Legolas is uh, is safe. But that is the typical kind of trigger that 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 makes this elf decide. This elf who at the beginning of the Hobbit was like, I'm not going to get involved. Forget it. I'm not part of this. And it's that's been the almost their family motto. It's what Legolas keeps repeating. Like, let's not get involved. This is not our battle. And Toriel's like, yes, it is. Now it becomes his battle because this is about family. And that yeah. that that makes everything clear. And I wonder too if perhaps Thranduil has been convinced, has essentially changed his mind that perhaps Legolas and Toriel are right. Or yeah, I, I wonder yeah. if it's possible that Galadriel spoke to him somehow, or perhaps Gandalf. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it makes sense, and and so there's no one there. Um, so he needs to go elsewhere to, uh, you know, perhaps he goes back to, you know, his uh, underground grotto and and summons his armies and and goes to battle uh, out of vengeance, perhaps. I don't know. And, and and then of course he could also blame the dwarves because it's because of the dwarves that Toriel and 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 Legolas uh, you know they went after the dwarves and Bilbo, so mm-hmm. he could also be resentful to them. So there's there's they have all the reasons in the world to uh, to go to battle, so that establishes their motivation. That's that's important. And then we get a very a very short glimpse of of uh, Legolas. Uh, looking concerned, I think even you know making it more clear to us that this these two scenes are in, you know are interrelated. This is father and son, and then we get we see the I, I guess the end of the chase scene, and I'm not even sure if it's this is the same chariot, but there's someone on it's Bard. I'm pretty sure it's Bard. Yes, so this is not the same thing as what we saw in the on the ice. It's a pretty cool sword though. <laughs> And we see one of the Elys. <laughs> I thought we should just do it for now. Don't even try. Um, and he seems to be in a battle. It's snowing. He seems to be on top of a mountain. And then we get that magnificent uh, uh, view. Um, and we, we look from above on Azok standing there commanding uh, the orc armies that are marching forward and mm-hmm. they look extremely dangerous oh they do and then if that wasn't enough gruesomeness we also see Bolg and he seems to be still in Dol Guldur there so uh, but he, he uh, his face also betrays some rage <laughs> so, I, I think actually that Bolg that might just be while um Gandalf is trying to escape or something like that. Yeah, it was. I think Volk definitely woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Yes. <laughs> Real question is: Is does he ever wake up on the right side of the bed? Actually, uh, I don't think he has a bed. <laughs> Both sides are bad. <laughs> and then we get a, another sh- very brief glimpse of a terrified 
Bilbo. Where is this guy? Oh, that's a good. Question. He's on I top of a snowy mountain. That almost looks it, like he. It, it looks like Dol Guldor, yes. but that, it would make no sense. Yeah, but if you think about it, in the shot just before, Bolg okay. is staring one Ooh. way, and if you could take it to I where that's one there... half of the shot. Yeah, Bilbo and this is, is Bilbo. staring same back lighting. at him, terrified. Mm-hmm. It's the same lighting. Yes, and then they are back to back. And then there's also. I think the the shot before that of the Ely <laughs> um, was also on top of a mountain. It's kind of and was also snowing a bit. So perhaps this is could this be a like a rescue mission or on top of Erebor, perhaps because you know we we it is we do know it's icy conditions. Yes, that's possible too. There is a building in the background, but I can't really tell what it is. It seems to be destroyed. So it could also be Dale. It could also be that this is just part of... I mean, there, and there seems to be um, like a fire... Um, how would you call that? Like a, where you put wood and you light it on fire. It's of metal. So this could also be part of ramparts or something that they, you know, they just... This is part of the defenses. And Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But, but definitely Bilbo is not unconscious yet. But could this be the moment before he's knocked out? Could it be Bolg who who just you know lashes out at him and then he tumbles down and yeah is out of it? I don't know, but it's definitely uh, uh, now now this is the climax of the trailer and you see this uh, this <laughs> amazing scene with all these rams. <laughs> but don't they look fantastic? Yes. They do. It's such a brilliant idea. I love it. I'm sold. Somehow, the I, inner eleven-year-old fan of the dwarves is now just so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I somehow completely missed the fact that these were dwarves on their, I guess, I dwarf the shot, I war the rams. The first time I watched the trailer on the big screen, though, you can really see like they you can see clearly the 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 rams are armored. Yes. And yes, the dwarves do not look happy. Right. <laughs> But it, 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 it's just amazing. This it, it makes the dwarfs, even though they are smaller than the, the the other armies, but it does make them look very threatening, right? This it, is a, this is totally a Baruch Kazat moment. <laughs> Kazat I made uh, And 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 so yeah, big Iron Hill uh, army. We have. I'm missing one army. The fifth are- army. Where are the eagles? And how did how do they get involved? Hmm. <laughs> we have that very. That was a very simultaneous. Yeah, it was. Hmm. <laughs> uh, we were both very pensive there. Um, I don't know. I, we and we don't see Bayorn in the teaser either, mm-hmm. which is uh, interesting. They might keep that for the the full trailer. Probably, but it was also it might also be uh, f- um, because the the usually the eagles are the last ones to enter a situation, right? Yeah, and they've already been. I was going to say maybe the eagles don't show up, but I'm pretty sure they would. No, uh, they I'm have sure to been, uh, leaked images of of Bayorn at the Battle of the Five Armies. Mm-hmm. So, and here we see is that Bart also is in in yeah. armor, and this is inside. Uh, what looks like a rune. I, I don't think this is uh, Dale. 
again, this just almost makes me think that there is some excursion going on or they're trying to... Could they be after Bilbo? Is is that what they're doing? It's kind of hard to tell. There's a big human army, at least, behind him. And he seems to be in the lead. And then we get that glimpse of the Eye of Sauron. Just a reminder that this is part of an even bigger uh, landscape or or scope. That this is ultimately the the source of all evil. Sauron, who is masterminding, you know, who might actually be the the, the ultimate evil that 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 sets up these armies against each other. Mm-hmm. Just two seconds, but it's there. And then we get a. Um, one of those classic Peter Jackson shots of where the camera is swirling around and and zooms out, showing I guess dwarfs that are running across a bridge. These might actually be the uh, the four dwarfs from um, from uh, Lake Town because yeah, they're entering they're entering the Lonely Mountain, and you can see the frozen river. Say again. It looks like they would be in pursuit, uh, or at least or may perhaps being chased. Um, yeah, then I, I guess chased. Or they might, you know, have a message to convey or I don't know. Wait a minute. There is an interesting detail there. Wait, the fourth wait dwarf. Do you see what he ha- what he's carrying there? Wait a second. Okay, coming up. On the bridge, there uh-huh. is the clue. That's what they're that's why they are in such a hurry. Wait, what are they carrying? I can't the tell. The fourth dwarf. Look in ten eighty P. The other right. ones just have satchels. But yeah. the last one has satchels plus something that is sticking out. It is the arrow, the black arrow. <gasps> That's why they are in such a hurry. They recovered the black arrow that, that they know they need to, def- to defeat the dragons. The only thing, the only weapon that can get through the armor of the dragon. And that's why they came from 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 uh, Lake Town to oh. and they go to the Lonely Mountain find the other dwarves. They discover the dwarves are not there. So where are they? Well, let's go to Dale. And then you know that's where they find Bart Bow- Bowman, who is involved in this big war with the elves. That battle f- uh, fails uh, because you know we see the the uh, Dale deserted with the uh, Thranduil, and so mm-hmm. perhaps after a while, you know, the only thing left to do. Or no, actually, no. This might might be earlier in the story. But anyway, this must be th- them bringing the lost dark arrow, whatever it's called, to uh, to defeat to defeat Schmaug. So they know Schmaug is coming. So I've loaded it in 1080p, and I'm looking at it over and over. I have to set up a GIF um, oh. and see. I, I'm it, not. I'm I'm 85 percent with you. No, father. it's got to be not- that. It's so big. It's like twice the size size of a dwarf. Yeah, and in the film it's we saw huge. before, we know it's big. Looks like a spear. Yes, absolutely. No, that that that's, that is it. Oh, okay, well, we'll we'll see. I I think you're right. I have no I- doubt. <laughs> that is the reason why they are in such a hurry, because they know the dragon is coming or has already come, and now they need to go to Dale. But before they go to Dale, they go to the Lonely Mountain, thinking that the dwarves are there, but the dwarves have already gone elsewhere, and well, something like that. But I, yeah, that has to be the arrow. Anyway, next scene, we see lots of other arrows. Could this be a hint? <laughs> we see this huge <laughs> army of, of elves, and they have a different type of armor here. Um, 
But man, that looks fantastic. Oh, it does. I don't know where this is. It seems to be in an open space. The grass yep. reminds me of the place where we saw the pursuit with the with the wargs, remember? Yeah. It's one of those uh, upper plateaus uh, near uh, Queenstown where this is filmed. And the grass actually is exactly like that in all over, you know, that part of New Zealand. It's wow. it's 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 yellow most of the most of the year and uh yeah, it's just one of those big confrontations and who knows who they're aiming for with all those arrows. But it does look like an invincible army. Mm. And you see no faces. So this is all about display of power. This is this is the army of of Thranduil. <laughs> And then we see uh, the portrait photo. It's like, smile, say cheese, and all the dwarves lined up. And then right behind two of them, we see to the Bilbo. And Bilbo is looking quite annoyed. It's like, we have no time for photos right now. Let's get on. <laughs> that is like a very grumpy looking Bilbo. Also, yes. it reminds me so much of the shot from, um, from Fellowship of the Ring. It does. Mm, true, you're right. And they're obviously listening to Thorin. This must be this big speech before they go to war. They're already partially dressed. They haven't put on the big armor yet. So I bet you that this is, you know, right before they go and dress up and decide to follow Thorin one last time. Follow me. One last time. And in the meantime, we see a few more shots with interesting details. We see the same army of elves with their arrows, but this time Gandalf stands there in front of them. Yeah. And he's looking mm -hmm. in the same direction. Kind of see a little snow on the ground, I think yes. that is. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of weird because in the previous shot it was grass and it was definitely, it was looking differently, but perhaps the, snow, the grass is just sticking out of the snow. Um... And I'm I'm trying to see what it, what is in the background there. If that's just scenery or flags or something, there's something behind the army of elves, but it's kind of blurred out, so I can't tell. Um, so I wonder. This is so. This is this is Gandalf, but he looks concerned. So is he just entering the scene and and sees the elves ready for battle, and he's like, oh shoot, I have to do something. <laughs> I don't know. Is this the right thing to do? And then we get this uh, close-up of uh, uh, Thoriel and uh, Legolas. This must be, you know, during one of their conversations about, uh, we must get involved. No, you have to do something, Legolas. It's your responsibility. Okay, I'll fetch some elves. I'll steal them from my father. <laughs> Something like that. This must be the like that moment where Legolas decides, I can no longer just stand by and, and watch. I have to take my, take, take my responsibility and what, what I can do to influence the events. Which, of course, means a separation between the two, which means that when he returns... Mm. Is Toriel going to die earlier in Dale, perhaps? Hmm. No, probably not. I don't think so. Think so. It, yeah. would, it, would, it would kill... One of the great things of storytelling is when you have plot threads come to a head all at the same time right at the climax of the film. Like, like the original Star Wars is a great example of you have... Every single plot thread throughout the film is resolved as the Death Star explodes. <laughs> yes. And, and in the same way, the climax of the when when um, you know the ring is destroyed and return of the king, everything is resolved in that moment. I mean, you still have the conclusions um, and the epilogues, but 
Like when you have that, the more you have at stake, and the more that's resolved in a single moment, um, I think that's that that's the key. And so I think if you're going to kill off Tariel, it has to be in the final moment. Yes. One last time. And then Bilbo again close up. He is not scarred here. So uh, and there are some dwarves in the background. He's also on top of a mountain. Um. You know, I wonder. Here, here's a mm-hmm. here's a theory. What if this is, as the folks over at the One Ring postulate, this is right after the uh, second film, and basically they're walking out of the mountain, and Smaug has left, and this is Bilbo again with another look of what have we done? Yeah. But what if this is followed with Bolg coming to this area because again the lighting looks kind of similar. So yep. what if the orcs in some way catch up with the hobbit and the dwarves at this point in the story? I don't I'm trying to remember in the book yeah. and in the movie. Well I can answer that question possibly because he's wearing Bilbo's wearing his blue coat yes. in that last shot and I'm gonna yeah. pull up if the we can um, go back and see what he's wearing. We will have war. So I'm I'm kind of going back to see what uh, he's yeah he's wearing the same thing yeah mm-hmm. so he's wearing so he's got the same clothing on so that might lend credence to your theory there. But they are very high up in the mountains. This is not at the entrance to the Lonely Mountain. They're definitely they've climbed up. I think that's true. Yeah. Or would they and have taken not, the side no. a side exit, the one you know next to the the, the statue of the dwarf with the secret passageway? That doesn't make sense. They don't have to. The, the dragon is already gone. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to see the dwarves seem to be just kind of cool just standing there so I'm not sure if this is they don't seem to be if this is just right after the 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 dragon escaping I wonder if they would be this cool it would kind of well I mean it kind of makes sense <laughs> like oh, we got rid of him <laughs> that'll teach him <laughs> Uh, but anyway, Bilbo does what he does best, and that is looking very concerned. What have we done? <laughs> One last time. And then we see The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies. And the end credits. Guillermo del Toro, still credited, even in the trailer. Interesting. Oh, yeah, sure is. Yeah, I didn't notice that the first as, time. As a, sc- a screenwriter, because it's, it mentions Peter Jackson and Fran and Philippa. So, um, and then the producers. So, yeah, I guess, you know, they must have left in a few story elements from Guillermo del Toro. Be um, December already? <sighs> yeah, well, you blink and it, it'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> and in the meantime, I'm pretty sure that we will get a few more trailers and I hope also some behind-the-scenes uh, uh, things. Yes, please. Please, Peter yes. Jackson. We want. Re- I miss those. I totally miss those. Yeah, I know. Too. Absolutely. But I guess he, he did a lot of those behind-the-scenes uh, videos while he was still working, you know, doing stuff that was interesting. Right now, he is just basically moving from his home to the editing room back home to the editing room back home. In his red, yeah. red car, which I totally missed because I was visiting the tourist shop of Weta. And when I came back outside, the my friend who showed me around is like, do you know who you just missed <laughs> driving by? It was Peter Jackson. It's like, ah, no. <laughs> oh. Oh. Anyway, gives me another reason to return to, to New Zealand. 
<laughs> I want to be at the opening of the big Hobbit Museum, and I definitely hope it's going to be there one day. I'll be there in a, in, in a split second. <sighs> well, that was fun. <laughs> I think we, uh, we covered every single frame of the trailer, and uh, while talking, we, I do think that we uncovered a few secrets of the Hobbit trailer that I haven't heard anywhere else in the multiple uh, dissections that are that can be found all over the over the web but um yeah that was a blast and gosh imagine how long our final review of the movie will be (laughs) (laughs) it's going to say we might have to set a timer or something oh we just spent one hour and 47 minutes and 34 seconds reviewing a trailer that is one minute and 54 seconds long (laughs) (laughs) we're here for you that's what we're (sighs) oh well it's what we do, right? That's the fun of this whole lead up to uh, uh, to the premiere. And uh, well, as you know, we 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 are also Star Wars fans. You you cannot miss our references, and we are treating actually the upcoming Star Wars movies in very much the same manner. Uh, Riley, you have a podcast called the Star Wars Report, which is a weekly podcast chock full of Star Wars news about the upcoming movies, but also the animated series, the fandom, the toys. Uh, w- what don't you cover? Uh, we've, we, we don't cover anything. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't cover anything? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you're interested in Star Wars stuff, uh, hey, check out uh, StarWarsReport.com slash about, and that'll introduce you to our Star Wars stuff. And of course, the Secrets of the Star Wars podcast. Yep. Uh, I crashed a couple weeks ago to talk about seeing Mark Hamill. And so people can... still talk about it. It's just like, wow, this guy, you know, he should do a podcast. <laughs> like, dude, he is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Secrets of Star Wars. That is focused mostly on the story, uh, trying to figure out the story of the upcoming Star Wars movies, both the trilogy and the spin-off movies. And you can find that at starwars.sqpn.com. And Bethany, both you and Riley are on Facebook and Twitter as well? Yes, uh, I am on Twitter at Bethany L. Blanton, and I tweet about a multitude of things there. Excellent. Yeah, and you can follow me. Uh, I'm at same thing, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's uh, at the Riley guy. Now I've got one perhaps indiscreet question about your Facebook account, Riley. There was this photo of a swimming pool. Okay. And you were doing some like exercises there, or what was that? <laughs> that was uh, uh, two years ago. I, I, that was me doing an Air Force. Uh, oh my gosh! I thought it was just happened just the other day. I was like, man, he's studying and doing school, and then he's got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, no. That was like a throwback picture. No, I, I, school is over, and I couldn't celebrate it in a better way than having uh, the Hobbit trailer. <laughs> I see. All right. Well, that was. Uh, I had a blast, and thank you so much for your time and energy that you put into preparation of this podcast. I hope uh, all our listeners enjoyed it very much. It might be a while before we record another show, so, uh, well, take your time listening to this. And, of course, I should have said this at the beginning of the show, not at the end, because you're already at the end of your journey. You went there and back again. So stay tuned. Follow us on sqpn.com on our uh, various social media accounts, and we'll be back before you know it with more Hobbit speculation and news talk. Thanks for listening, and may the hair on your toes never fall out. SSKN, leading the way in Catholic new media. <laughs>